Welcome in. Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean, more avalanche hockey to cover. Um, Arif, I wanted to start with this today. Yesterday we were at the game, right? Ovechkin was in town. Darcy Kemper was in town. Obey Kubel. It was a fun game. A lot of storylines around it. Ovechkin even scores a goal. But something unique happened during the game, and, and I want to I see if you remember. There was a point, I forget, maybe second period, third period, they put up a get-to-know-Val-Nichushkin bit on the Jumbotron, right? And yes. you kind of made a joke. I, I don't know if you were not listening to me or what it was, you, but you kind of gave me like a, shut up, I'm trying to get to know Val-Nichushkin here. And it's funny because all of us are still kind of trying to get to know Val-Nichushkin since he doesn't really talk much in the locker room or anything. But one, when you said that, I started paying attention, and the, the first thing I saw is if we were creating – a podcast playlist or just a playlist not a podcast playlist if we were creating a playlist what song would you put on it and val nichushkin's response was ahmed spins was the the artist the dj i don't i don't know what song i forget which song he put <laughs> but right away i pulled up ahmed spins because it's something i never heard of something i wanted to check out um but i, I guess just a funny little look into the personality of Val Nichushkin if you play some Ahmed spins on your own um I could even try to play it subtly here Can you hear that is that, yeah. is that okay no that's good um there's some Ahmed spins you, you get a little bit of look into the personality of Val Nichushkin right? and it's kind of some fun music some good music some good party music but something we're finally <laughs> getting to learn about this guy yeah Val does not really talk to media much uh this is what he does he's he's very quiet all right let's turn that down I, we've, we've heard enough of Ahmed spins. I can't uh, hear it at all on my end. So I don't know how good oh, or funny. annoying that was. <laughs> uh, no, it was actually, it was actually good. It was a nice, a nice dip into Val Nachushkin's personality. Look, Val is the guy that for, for fans, um, that are unaware. So pre COVID Val was with the avalanche for what, four or five months. That was the same season that I started here, uh, on the beat. He would talk to media, uh, very quietly, very shyly, kind of like how Arturi Lekanen is now, just like doesn't really give you much, but will talk to media. Then COVID happened. Everything switched to Skype and Zoom and all that stuff. Uh, well, just Zoom. And he stopped talking to media. He didn't like the Zoom culture, the whole, you know, I'm sitting here, all eyes on me, all everybody hearing me. Uh, just a very shy guy. His English isn't the best. Granted, I think it's better than he thinks it is. Um so he wasn't really interested. And then during the Stanley Cup playoffs, when it was podium, I think he spoke once. Uh, he came up to the podium once. And I remember him sitting up there very nervous, talking about how we're playing good and we're scoring goals. And like he just was not in his element. So since then, a lot of people have flack with it. I don't care too much because it's, you know, it's a personal, you know, personality thing. He's, he's not too uh, public with media and with just the public in general outside of his his boys in the locker room his his teammates and since then val does not talk when we lock in the lock when we walk in the locker room the most you can get out of nichushkin is a hey how's it going val he'll give you a head nod and maybe a little murmur a hey or hmm or something like that so all that's to say we don't know anything about val nichushkin so those little lame commercial break get to know player x or player y things never care about them but as soon as i saw val nichushkin's name i looked at the rest of the press boxes like Shh, quiet down i want to get to know val here <laughs> chance and the ahmed spins thing is uh is an interesting one it's a it's a cool one it's like a 
techno it's techno music but it's got like an arab twist to it ahmed is a very arab name obviously so it's got a very like middle eastern arab kind of techno twist and taste to it and you just know that when val's walking around cherry creek when i see him walking around he's listening to some ahmed spins and that's what he does and it was just really cool to learn a little bit about techno val yeah absolutely i could just picture him driving down the street in his fancy car blasting some Ahmed spins and just maybe even fist pumping, loving it. But um, yeah, Avalanche make it six in a row. And I guess we can transfer that right into this next conversation because I wanted to look at those top two lines and how they're currently structured, right? I really like the way Miko Rantanen, Val Nichushkin, and JT Comfer are kind of blending together and just giving Coach Bednar that little bit of flexibility, that little bit of breathing room as more players start to enter the top six. Yeah. And this goes back to what we were talking about last year um, and what we've talked about pretty much this entire season when we've been daydreaming of the idea of that once existent number 92 guy coming back into the lineup is we know Miko and Gabe as a pair on the wing works. It's worked for four or five years. It's been one of the best, if not the best line in the NHL. We know that Rantanen and Lekkanen now works, and then Landeskog and Nichushkin works because that's what the Avalanche used in the Stanley Cup final last year and heading into that final series with Tampa. Well, now you've got another mix to it. You've got, like you said, Nichushkin and Rantanen, and then right now it's Rodriguez with Lekkanen, but obviously when Landeskog comes back, I'm sure Landeskog can fit just perfectly in the role that Rodriguez is playing. So now you have another combination. What does that leave? The only combination that leaves is a Nichushkin Landeskog? No, Nichushkin Lekkanen and then Rand. Yeah, so that's actually all the combinations. We've we've now covered all of them. We've talked about this for a while and I've mentioned it for a while. The Avalanche's top 4 wingers. So the top 2 lines, the four wingers that are going to play up there are pretty much locked up for seemingly the foreseeable future. They are all in the prime of their career. They are excellent players. They are not like Toronto where it's like Tavares, Marner, and blank, Matthews, Nylander, and blank. They got those blanks figured out. They've got all four of those guys figured out. What they've got going right now with Nichushkin and Rantanen, it's working so well. And it just goes to show how good those four wingers are. Because I have, I have, I don't think I've ever seen the Avalanche have four wingers that can work interchangeably. Mm-hmm. It never happens. Like the days of... I don't know, uh, Wojtek Volsky and Milan Hayduk and Ryan Smith and, and I don't know, Merrick Spatos or whoever. Like, there were always uh, Alex Tange came in, Jerome McGinley. Like, there were always specific duos that worked. And when one of those guys and one of those duos got injured, you had to plug somebody in from the bottom lines. But it's not like that anymore. It's not like Rantanen and Landeskog only work together. And then when one gets hurt, you got to pull a O'Connor or pull a Rodriguez and pull them up to the top line. So what they got going with those two guys right now, centered by JT Confer, who obviously you would hope by the time the deadline comes and goes, it's a different center, is, is, is working greatly. It's such a great pair. Yeah, and that kind of flexibility and that ability to mix and match, I mean, it's all possible because of Val Nichushkin's reinsertion into the lineup, right? It's crazy how one player can make such a pivotal difference you know, not not that he's exactly making the biggest difference on the scoreboard, not that he's making the biggest difference on the ice. He is, but just having his presence in the lineup to, to be able to mix and match. I mean, that's been everything for the Avalanche here in this win streak. And with that has been the play of Arturi Lekkanen, right? Of course, Alex Newhook chipping in, adding some goals. But I think Arturi Lekkanen, 
And the way he's elevated his game during this recent stretch, I mean, uh, we've talked about it before, but that help has been pivotal. But Arturi Lekkinen seems to be a man on fire right now. He's incredible. Six goals in the last six games that leads the avalanche because Miko is stuck at five. What a guy. He's he's not even that good anymore. Just kidding. But <laughs> it's so great to see what they have in Lekkinen. 34 points in 43 games. Like The most obvious prediction you could have made heading into the season is Archery Lekkinen, a guy that has never hit 40 points in his NHL career, is going to is going to blow by those numbers this season. And he's already at 34. We're 43 games in. Um, again, this like, I, I don't think we talk enough about how excellent a top four wingers the avalanche have on this team. Like I know we, we, the, the conversation has been all season about, you know, the injuries and Landis Cog not playing and trying to replace Nazem Kadri. But like this team is stacked up and down the wings, like Lekkanen, you're talking about the, the impact he's had. But you also mentioned something very unique there that Val Nichushkin, when this dude's in the lineup, the Avalanche are a different team. They are a better team. Their winning record, they have a not just a winning record when Val plays, but they have like the 700 points percentage record, which is like a 120 point pace over a full season when Val's in the lineup versus when he's not. That was something we saw last year, something we're seeing even more this year. And that's Nichushkin and, and, and Val. And then there's Miko Rantanen, the guy that's on pace for 50-plus goals, and we know who he is. He's led the Avalanche in scoring the last two seasons. He had the most points for forwards in the playoffs last year when they won the Stanley Cup. And then, oh, the only other guy we're not talking about is Gabe Landeskog, who scored 40 goals last year, 41 to be exact, in 71 games between the playoffs and the regular season. He's the captain. He's the glue guy. He he does it all for this team. So, like, Lekkanen and Chushkin are third. Like, how do you rank those four wingers? Lekkanen and Chushkin are so damn good, but those are three and four. Who's three and who's four? Good question. Uh, on any given day, it could be any one of them. Hell, on any given day, I would take Val over Landeskog or Val over Rantanen. Same with Lekkanen. Like, we can't undersell just how good the Avalanche are in those top four. And it's performances like this from Lekkanen. Six goals that you're seeing in a, in a six-game stretch, plus the two-way game, the penalty-killing capabilities that he has. That just makes him such a key piece of this roster. And like you said, it's all because Val Nichushkin's back in the lineup and it's given the Avalanche the ability to kind of even out their roster in the top six. And that's why you're hearing everybody be so confident in the Avalanche being able to bounce back and take control of this the season and get some wins back, right? I mean, you're you're literally hearing it from everyone. And it's yeah, I, I look at the all-star game conversation that people are having, and and of course it's Oh yeah, Kale McCarr got in, but even he came out and said, "Oh, I'm voting for Miko. I think Miko needs to be in there." So Miko, obviously all-star level stuff. Um, but of course Nathan McKinnon gets in there as well. Don't forget Gabe Landeskog has definitely all-star qualities to him. The way Lekkinen's playing right now, and the list keeps going on of players with tons of talent on this team. So everybody knows how stacked they are and how skilled this squad still is, despite you know kind of stutter step in there through through mid-season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's and you're starting to see the way they're playing right now. Like even had they not gone on the six game winning streak and just been, you know, 500, you would still hear the murmurs of they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up. But the six game winning streak certainly helps. Uh, my favorite thing to do is to look at the numbers back on. I believe it was January 13, the day after Colorado lost to Chicago. They were a zero goal differential. They were fifth place in the wild card ranking. So think about that. That means Calgary, Edmonton, St. Louis, and Nashville were ahead of them. They were the fifth team in the wild card ranking. And then for third place in the central, 
uh, they were, I believe it was seven points back of Minnesota with only one game in hand. So if you win your one game in hand, that puts you five points back of Minnesota. And then when you look at the teams above them, Dallas and Winnipeg, the Avalanche had three games in hand on both of them, but they were, get this, 14 points back. So even if you win your three games in hand, where does that put you? That puts you eight points back of the top two spots in the central. Eight points might not seem like a lot. You know, to many people, you'll look at it and be like, oh, that's just four wins more than the other team. But it's not that easy in the NHL because of the loser point in overtime. It is so hard to overcome eight-point deficits. Hell, it is so hard to overcome seven-point deficits with one game in hand, which is what they've done now against the Minnesota Wild in 13 days, in six games. So the Avalanche now find themselves in a position, and trust me, this rant is going somewhere, this little tangent here, like they always do sometimes. Uh, The Avalanche now find themselves eight points back of Winnipeg, nine points back of the Dallas Stars. They have three games in hand on both of them. I mean, it's safe to say you. the expectation now is the Avalanche could win two or three of these games. Well, if you make up those three games and you win them all, you're two back of Minnesota, or sorry, you're two back of Winnipeg, you're three points back of the Dallas Stars, and you're only 49 games into the season. The Central Division is still up for grabs. The Western Conference is still up for grabs. The Avalanche could very well end up exactly where they were a season ago. Top spot in the Western Conference, but not the President's Trophy winners. Like, it's it's... The, the it's up for grabs because no team is doing what Boston is doing in the East or even what Toronto or Carolina are doing, you know, right behind them in the East. The Western conference is still very much up for grabs. It gives the avalanche the ability to, you know, get a good playoff spot. And like you said, the conversation and the chatter is they're going to figure it out, which they have. They're going to be hot rolling into the trade deadline into the Stanley cup playoffs. And they're probably going to be the team to beat again. Yeah, everybody thinks that they're just lining up to steamroll the rest of the schedule, right? I mean, of yep. course, the recent win streak helps and kind of influences everybody's opinions. But um, yeah, you you look at those standings and the Pacific's crazy too, right? I mean, all five teams can still easily be winners of the Pacific as well. So the entire yep. West is up for grabs. Yep. There's going to be a lot of um, ins and outs throughout the rest of the season. It's going to be a fun race to watch. So gearing up for that, you brought Boston up. Um, this was a conversation I had for later in the podcast, but might as well have it now. It doesn't matter. Um, podcast, Boston, the fastest to 80 points in history of the NHL. So um, obviously they're feeling kind of like the Avs were at this point last year, right? Like, hey, this this is our Stanley Cup to lose. Like we're the team to beat this year. Um, but you look at the Avalanche and what they've done in this recent streak, and you brought up that last loss in Chicago and what they've done since then. I think the biggest difference maker for me has been in each of these last six wins, they've scored first. Not only did they score first, they scored in the first period. They got out to these early mm-hmm. starts and they held onto them. We saw for a while how impossible it was for them to even score in the first, let alone prevent the other have team from scoring. Yeah. So um, these first periods have been have been just so big for uh, Colorado. Let me see if I can get this off the top of my head. Somebody tweeted at me the other day saying that I'm 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 a computer of stats. So I'm going to see if I can try to get this without cheating. Against the Ottawa Senators, they scored 7 goals before the other team scored, obviously because they shot them out 7 nothing. Against the Red Wing, 5 goals before they let in a goal. Against the Canucks, 3. Against the Flames, 3. Against the Kraken, they scored 1 and then they surrendered 1. That's the only game that a team was able to even tie it up. Against and then yesterday against uh, the Washington Capitals, I believe it was two goals. 
So seven, five, three, three, one, two. That is how many goals they're scoring before the other team even gets a goal, which obviously the caveat being against Ottawa, the other team didn't even get a goal. That is huge because, I mean, think of what we talked about in the playoffs last year. In every single series that the Avalanche had, they, except for the St. Louis Blues, they took a two to nothing series lead through the first two games, and then they didn't lose again. Uh, or and they didn't lose the series lead. The only difference was against the Blues, it was one one, and then they got a three to one series lead. Basically, just like they were doing with those series in the playoffs last year, the Avalanche are getting the lead early, and they're not relinquishing it. And if they are relinquishing it, it's one time. It was against the Kraken on the second of a back to back on three games in four nights. They let in a goal, and then McKinnon was able to steal it for them in the shootout along with Pavel Francouz. So. Like these are massive, massive numbers that the Avalanche are playing right now. Seven goals, five goals, three goals on the road, another three on the road, uh, one on the road and a back-to-back, two at home against the Capitals team desperate for a victory. Like, And now you got the Anaheim Ducks, which <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if it's going to be hilarious when they lose to the last place Ducks to ruin their winning streak. Just kidding. But it is huge what they're doing, not just in scoring first, not just in scoring in the first period, but in keeping those leads, playing with the lead, not playing catch-up hockey, like how many times did I have to ask that same stupid question to Kale McCarr, to Jared Bednar, to every single person during that rough stretch they had between Christmas and the Ottawa Senators game on January 13 or 12? It was, how frustrating is it to play from behind? How frustrating is it to play catch-up hockey? How frustrating is it to have to overplay your top guys because you're always trailing, because you're always tied late in the game? Like, how big would it be for you to just get a couple of victories where you have a late lead by multi-goals where you don't need your top guys to play so many damn minutes? And lo and behold, starting from the Ottawa game, it's pretty much been that the entire way. Yeah, yeah, can argue with you there. I mean... It's been, it's been pivotal. I mean, it was frustrating for a while to see every single game. Oh, well, I didn't like our start. Well, the first period could have been better. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's refreshing that they were able to tweak that and get some big wins. Um, I want to get into third period play next. But first, guys, the final drive for the championship is here. And there's no better place to wager on the football title than Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business, plus Check out their special odds boosts and promotions at superbook.com. With over three decades of odd, odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif. So that brings us to the third period of last night's game against the Capitals. Uh, you hear? Yeah. You know, even after a victory, there's kind of a, a very, I don't want to call it somber, but just not exactly the most positive energy in the locker room, right? You hear even guys like Cogliano saying he didn't think that they played that good of a game. Jared Bednar kind of reiterated the same thing. But at the end of the day, they got the win, right? I mean, you can say it was a bad game, but they, they got a W without having to rely on the power play, not getting one opportunity all game long. You had your goalie making the big saves you needed and, and really playing great. Um, so... I don't know if you need to hang your head as low as they were hanging after a win like that, despite, yeah, third period was a little bit of a, I guess, uh, imbalance, but it, it was what it was, a victory. Yeah, so third period, I believe the, oh, I wish I had the stat sheet pulled up. Yes, here it is. The Capitals outshot the Avalanche 15-3. to They outscored them one to nothing. Obviously, that was the goal from Ovechkin at 944. 
but they couldn't get the second goal, which was huge for Colorado, especially given the saves that Georgiev made late. The one on Eric Gustafson is the one that sticks out. Now, this is a Capitals team, like I said, desperate for a victory, desperate for two points. They are in their own wild card battle that they badly need to get back into the swing of things. And you knew trailing by two goals heading into third period, they were going to come out flying, and they did. That doesn't excuse or give the Avalanche a reason for why they played like that, but it's just the reality. Now, the biggest thing that I take away from what you just said, these guys in the locker room talking the way they were, Jared Bednar having that, you know, where a media member had to make the joke after the game of, they won the game, right? Like, they didn't lose this game. And we're like, yeah, yeah, they won the game. Is It's exactly back to what we were talking about, what, 10 minutes ago? about the avalanche getting their shit back together, getting back in the swing of things they now have. And you know, not that they lost it, but now they can actually talk the talk and walk the walk. They now have the same expectation they did a year ago. They're not sitting here thinking about, are we going to make the playoffs? Are we going to find our way into a wild card position? Are we going to find our way back in the top in the central? They're now thinking we don't just want to win games. We got to win them the right way we got to play the right way because in the playoffs this is unacceptable so that's what i take away from this the Avs just won their sixth straight game they're flying high they're making their way back into the top of the central the top of the western conference but to them uh that's not enough we got to do better we got to close out these games in the last six games we've seen this happen one other time they had a five nothing lead on the red wings jared bedner was unhappy with the fact that they let in three goals out of the final four and they had that late push from the red wings in the third period as well took their foot off the pedal. This is a team that has high expectations despite the winning streak, despite all the injuries they've dealt with. They're still not going to settle for, yeah, we got two points. That's great. No, they're going to settle for, we got to win these damn games the right way because if we're doing this against Washington now, what the hell is going to happen in the playoffs against teams like Vegas or Minnesota or Winnipeg or Dallas? No, that's a good point. Instead of just being satisfied with not letting the Capitals come back in the third period there, I mean, you got to look at even that Ovechkin goal, right? Caused off a bad turnover, an inability to break the puck out of the defensive zone. Then Ovechkin is left all alone as if it was a power play and it wasn't even a power play. And yeah. you, think, you think back to game six of the Stanley Cup final, right? In that third period when the Avalanche absolutely had to shut the Tampa Bay Lightning down and they did just that. That was perfection, right? That was what you want to see. Not only did... That Tampa Bay not come back in the game. They couldn't even sniff a, a good scoring chance. Whereas you, you draw the comparison to last night's game against Washington. Washington was able to uh, generate some decent scoring chances despite not quite making the full comeback. So um, no, I, I get what you're saying. I like your point for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, that's pretty much the, the biggest thing I'm seeing right now is the conversation has quickly shifted to not a matter of if, but a matter of when they make the playoffs and a matter of who they're going to face and you know who are who's going to get stuck with the avalanche in the first round is, is ultimately what the conversation is shifting to. And if you remember after that Chicago game, going back to another past episode we did when you know I think we titled it Panic is Settling In or It's Time to Panic or whatever, that was 40 games into the season. The avalanche had 20 victories. And... I remember mentioning at that point, actually, no, I remember mentioning after the Ottawa game when the Avalanche had 21, 17, and three, that was their record. They're now 26, 17, and three. They've won five since the Ottawa game. They were 21, 17, and three. They had a half a season where they won 21 games in the first half. And I asked you the question of, and I don't remember what you said, but I asked you the question. I brought up the point of, would you be surprised if the Avalanche go 29 and 12 in the second set of 41 games and still end up with 50 victories? Well, I don't know what you said, but all I do know is this. 
They've since won five games. So I'll ask you again. Would you be surprised if the Avalanche go 24 and 12 and end up with 50 wins? Well, it's a lot more reasonable to go 24 and 12. I'm sure I was on board then because I think that was in response to the question of me uh, saying that the the where the Nashville Predators squeaked in last year versus where the Avalanche had to get to to meet that mark. And you rebuttaled it with with that point right there. Yeah, so. it's 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 not that the Avalanche are going to look for the bare minimum to get into the playoffs. It's they're going to go mm-hmm. on a run and they're going to blow it away. Like mm-hmm. that's, and that's what they're doing now. They're six straight wins. And I know very well you could lose to Anaheim today or not today, but Thursday tomorrow. And you can lose to the St. Louis Blues on Saturday and people would start to panic again. And I still would be OK with it. Like, I still would be okay with it because you're about to, like, you're very close to getting Byram, Manson, and Malgan all back into the lineup sometime within the next three weeks, which sounds like a long time, but you got to remember there's a 12 day stretch in there where they got zero games. So, three weeks is like four to five games from now. So, you're about to get Byram, Manson, and Malgan back. Malgan gives you another forward to actually use so you don't have to play 7D. Manson and Byram gives you your freaking top six defense. And I know Kale McCarr hasn't hasn't returned yet but he's pretty much inevitable to return here soon you can actually have taves mccarr manson byram johnson gerard and if byram takes a little bit longer so be it brad hunt is actually playing damn good hockey right now and that doesn't include you have the option of using andreas england who's been hot and cold and then you know mcdermott and mcdonald who's just been meh uh so you suddenly are getting healthier you're feeling better about yourselves. You're winning games and you're you're going to breeze yourself not just to a playoff positioning, but to a place where you feel good about the way you're playing entering the playoffs because that's the most important thing for this team. It's what they cared about most last year and why they won the cup. And it's what they care about most now because they still have that expectation. Nobody gives a shit that we're 15th in the NHL in points percentage on January 25th. To us and to the NHL world, we're going to be cup contenders and we have to work our way there. Uh, I'm really excited for the reinsertion of uh, Josh Manson and Bowen Byram, not just because I love to see those guys play. They both are great additions to the lineup, but you saw with Caleb McCarr, right? He, he he's overloaded on minutes, overloaded on minutes. And then now he's out of the lineup. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate any further than that, but that's kind of what getting guys back to the lineup does for you. It gives you a chance to, give McCarr a little bit of a break. It gives you a chance. Hey, Gerard's looking a little banged up right now. Maybe give him a game or two off. Once you have a little bit more power behind you, a little bit more flexibility, that's good. That's going to be wondrous. Right. And I hear so many people chasing the central division right now. Right. And like you said, I don't think the avalanche are necessarily thinking let's go win the central division. I think they just want to get into a comfortable home ice spot of the playoffs and good chance. You know, they do what they did last year and spend the last part of the season Given the guy, given the guys a little bit of break, but you can't do that until you have some more guys healthy in the lineup, and having that will give you know some more flexibility. I'm all about flexibility today. Apparently, I better go stretch after this. <laughs> well, you know what, man the avalanche the avalanche have earned that flexibility. That's what winning six straight games does for you. That's what uh, scoring a bunch of goals before you surrender a goal does for you, and that's what. And this is something that you don't necessarily earn, but you get lucky with. That's what getting healthy finally gives you. Uh, but what I love about where the Avs are right now is when you look at time on ice, Devon Taves, look, Devon Taves without Kel McCart is always going to play a lot of time, 27 minutes and 41 seconds. But when you look at the forwards, JT Comfer led the way. Do you have a quick idea of how much ice time he had? Just give me a number. JT Comfort leading the way with forwards. I'll go 22. 
right under there, 2130. So that should tell you all you need to know. JT Comfer had the most ice time and it was 2130 among forwards. Like that is nothing compared to past years. Hell, that 2130, that's second on the team behind Devon Taves. No other defenseman played 2130. Sam Gerrard was below at 2123. Eric Johnson, 2032. But back to the forwards. 2130 for JT Comfer. Arturi Leckett in 2012. You want to know how many other forwards hit the 20-minute mark? Probably not very many. Zero. That's it. Two forwards played 20 minutes. Where were we a couple of weeks ago where JT Comfer was like the fifth most ice time with 24 minutes and Rodriguez is playing 27 and Miko's playing mm. 27 and Dave's playing 25 and when Val's healthy, he's playing 24. Like it was getting outrageous there for a little bit. But now you can start to play your game because your game is playing with the lead and that's what matters. Evan Rodriguez, 16 minutes and 11 seconds yesterday. That's a top six winger right now. That's a top line winger right now. Nathan McKinnon, 1853. That's your superstar top center. Miko Rantanen, 1902. Again, there was zero special teams in the game yesterday. There was two power plays for the Capitals, and they were 0 for 2 in four minutes, and the Avalanche had zero power play. So this is five-on-five five ice time dominating the run, and those were the ice times you saw. Val Nachushkin, who of the four minutes of PK time, played two minutes and 48 seconds, which is wild to think about as a forward, 1954. You're able to start to balance these lines. Like, how big is that? Logan O'Connor, 17 minutes and 48 seconds. Most of it at even strength. Alex to assist Newhook, in that 17 to, minutes. Too. To assist as well. Alex Newhook, uh, 1509. Sorry, Andrew Cogliano, 1509. Alex Newhook, 1511. That's your third line. Like, they were finally, they're finally at a point now where even in a game where they had a three to one lead entering the third. The Capitals scored and made it three to two with just over 10 minutes left in the game. They still didn't overplay their top guys because they're comfortable with the line combinations they have. They're comfortable with not early in the season where Jared had like seven forwards he trusted and five he didn't. So the seven played 25 minutes and the five he didn't play like three seconds. Like it's no longer that. So they've earned the ability to have that rest and flexibility. It's because of the way they're playing, the way they're winning games getting the lead early, and now the luck part is going to start to come in, which is getting healthy, which is going to give you more flexibility, not just for those top guys, but the guys you're bringing in are not depth players. Bowen Byram led the team in ice time in game six of the cup final. Josh Manson's a 20-plus minute guy. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, the the depth players have been earning a lot of trust, right? I mean, you see McDermott chipping in assists the way he has. I saw him on the ice with, what, two two minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. He's still getting ice time. Uh, you know, you have Logan O'Connor chipping in two assists. Cogliano gets a goal. Newhook gets a goal. When you have that line, you know, you're going to trust them to get more minutes, too. So they kind of earned it as the games have progressed, right? And and Jared Benner kind of sees, hey, tonight he's got it. Tonight he doesn't. I'm going to trust this guy. I'm not going to trust this guy. And um, everybody's been trustable lately. And that's that's been the biggest factor. I mean, obviously, again, you'd like the uh, breakouts and the, the zone exits a little bit cleaner. But I'm going to still rest my hat on a, a win's a win and, and keep moving forward to Anaheim. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the end, the Avalanche will rest their head on that too. Um, but they also have a high standard for themselves and that's completely mm -hmm. okay. Like it's very possible. This team carries an eight game winning streak into the all-star break in and who could have thought that after the Blackhawks game. Yeah, it was over after that. Wasn't it? Um, some milestones to celebrate Eric, Eric Johnson plays his 700th game in an avalanche sweater. Nathan McKinnon gets his 700th point and Jared Bednar gets his 266th win passing Michelle Bergeron. Um, 
I don't know much about Michelle Bergeron, but I'll, I'll say that's maybe one of the most French names I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a very French name, uh, and he coached a very French team in a very French city. He was a Quebec Nordiques coach from 1981 to 1990. That is the franchise record for wins, not just Avalanche record. So congratulations to Jared Bednar. 266 wins. Also, fun fact, 500 games on the nose for Jared Bednar. So it was another milestone for him. He coached his 500th game. And I know what many might be thinking. The Avalanche have only won 266 of 500 games. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not really that good. But take out the 2016-17 season. Patrick Waugh quits on the Avs, and Jared Bender gets the team and has this piss-poor year. From the very next year, 2017-18, until today, the Avalanche are the best Western Conference team by a landslide. And I know that sounds like, of course they are, but think about it. 2017-18, where were the Avalanche in the playoff race? They were the second wildcard team. They got in by beating St. Louis in game 82. The very next year, the year they played Calgary, once again, eighth place in the Western Conference. They got in and beat the Calgary Flames, who were the number one seed in five games. So it's not like the Avalanche have been the 2020, 21, and 22 version of the team for all of these seasons. The first two years, they were the last team in the playoffs in the Western Conference. But when you put it all together, they are by far the best Western Conference team when you eliminate that first season of Jared Bednar, which I don't like to make excuses, but he deserves an excuse for that season, given the way he got the coaching job, when he got it, the roster construction, etc. So that's where the Avalanche are. And if you're wondering, three teams have a better points percentage since then. Tampa Bay Lightning, Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs. The Avalanche are the fourth best team in the regular season since Jared Bednar's second season. And then the fifth best team is the Capitals. Six is Carolina. Seven is Pittsburgh. Way down in eight, the Vegas Golden Knights. And way down in 10, the Nashville Predators. Rounding out you know, the top 10 and the top three in the West. So shout out to Jared. He's only won 266 of his first 500. But... <laughs> He might win 350 of the next 500 for all I know. Yeah, Nathan McKinnon's feet isn't um, anything just to look past either, right? I heard on my way home from, I was listening to, uh, to the post game, our friend Alex Ryan Nemi, of course, he's become our friend up in that press box, brought up the stat that Nathan McKinnon hit 700 points before anybody else in his draft class even hit 600. Yeah. So an amazing feat there. And especially after the first couple of years, Nathan McKinnon wasn't exactly the powerhouse he is today he wasn't the powerhouse we even wanted him to be then it took him a while to really get that momentum and really elevate his game so the way he was able to leapfrog everybody while kind of coming from behind I mean just amazing who he's become yeah Nathan McKinnon since the start of the 17-18 season I'm going by that same mark that I just made for Jared Bednar since the start of the 17-18 season McKinnon has 494 points in 373 games So he's 121 points above a point-per-game pace. He hit the mark with 27 games. Sorry, 27 points above the point-per-game pace. 673 games, 700 points. So think about how much below a point-per-game player he was at the start of the 17-18 season and how much he's taken off since the Matt Duchesne trade a month into that season. Because my favorite thing is the first 10 games of that year, McKinnon had one goal, four assists. He had five points in 10 games. Then Duchesne got traded. Now he's 130 plus points above a point per game pace. 
So it's just wild to think about how he got to this number so quickly after the way his career started. But it's also not surprising because when this guy was drafted, he was supposed to be as good as he is now, and he's hit that mark. Mm -hmm. So it's just awesome to see that. Uh, this is not about putting him down, but I want to compare another Avalanche player to him who's a defenseman, not even a forward. Kale McCarr in his first 220 games is more than a point per game. 223 points in 220. I don't have the exact numbers ahead of me, but basically when Nathan McKinnon played 220 games, he was roughly around 150 points. Kale McCarr's first 220 games, he is 70 points better as a defenseman than the superstar number one overall pick top line center Nathan McKinnon was. So that just goes to show how rich this team is with talent. But going back to Nathan McKinnon, he has been unstoppable since that 27-18 season, the only two players with more points than him are the teammates in Edmonton, McDavid and Dreisaitl. McKinnon has been far and away a top three player with a plus 105 rating since that 17-18 season where Jared Bednar has led the Avalanche to a lot of victories. Yep, yep. 39th assist of the year. I mean, funny that all those milestones happen on the same night. Yeah. But also funny how each person kind of reacts to the milestone, right? Nobody really cares. Just here to win hockey games, here to keep uh, the bigger picture in mind. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing you reflect on later on. Jared Bednar one day will look back and, and love what he's doing with this team. He's not going to be in there right now because right now he's in the trenches. He's thinking about that next win. Right, and it's also about the end result too, right? It's like, oh, cool. Well, it's not like that's ending tomorrow, so maybe we can talk about this again when it's all said and done and, and we can see where I really fall which my guess is going to be first place among all coaches, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> Jared. Jared's what, seven, seven years in now? He got hired in 2016, so this summer he'll be seven years in, and I don't foresee anything happening this season that would cause Jared to get fired. So he's already seven years into his coaching tenure. Like, could you imagine an avalanche future without Jared Bednar as the coach? Like, it's hard to even think that. But at the same time, coaches don't usually last seven years, let alone being seven years in with no end in sight. So they really got something good with this guy. Yeah, I think he's really going to have to blow it, too, considering the the talent he has on this team yeah. moving I think, forward. I think it was like 18 years, Barry Trotz with the coach in Astro, maybe 17, something like that. Um John Cooper and Mike Sullivan have been longer tenured coaches than Jared right now. And all three of these guys could hit that number here in the mm -hmm. next decade. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, here's a great place for us to stop today. Thanks for hanging out with us, Arif. Any uh, closing thoughts before we get out of here and start looking ahead to Anaheim again, a very, very easy, easily one game, but don't want to look past it as you know, Anaheim just beat Arizona last night, three, nothing. So they have Ooh, some talent. Arizona. <laughs> I know. Um, hey, Arizona yeah, beat Colorado. Yeah, I was just going to say the avalanche went into Arizona and got spanked. Um, the only thing I will say is I just want to plug because we're talking about Jared Bednar. Our friend Ryan Bolding has a feature story on Jared Bednar coming out tonight on MileHighSports.com. So please do check that out. I also want to plug a fun segment that JJ and I did yesterday for Morning Skate on Nicholas Abe Kubel and the reaction of players on the Avalanche. What first went through their head when Abe Kubel dropped that cup? It's a really cool, really fun segment. It's on our Instagram and on Twitter at MileHighSports. Indeed. Indeed. Right on. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll be back uh, to break down more Avalanche hockey later. So uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.